Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Tuesday. This is Seattle Now. November's general election is still a long way off, but deepfakes generated by AI are already entering the conversation. And we're not just talking about a robocall from a fake President Joe Biden, which actually happened during New Hampshire's primary last month. Local and state elections here in Washington could be targeted, too. There's a whole bunch of elections that are occurring this year, and this technology is ripe to disrupt at least some of them. In a minute, Seattle Now producer Claire McGrain will explain where deep fakes are showing up and how to identify them. But first, here's what's coming up this week. Speaking of elections, primary election ballots will be in the mail starting Friday. We have until March 12th to make up your mind. Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell is set to give his third State of the City address today at noon amid a city hiring freeze and a potential $200 million budget shortfall. The mayor will likely talk about his ideas for strengthening public safety and reducing homelessness. And a reminder, Seattle Now is getting newsier starting today. Check back each weekday around 5 p.m. for evening headlines with Paige Browning. It's the perfect way to get caught up on your way home. AI-generated information is all over the place these days. Sometimes you might not even know you're seeing it or hearing it. This isn't Patricia Murphy. It's a clone of her voice made by an AI system. Okay, that was a really strange experience. That sound you just heard was a deep fake generated by artificial intelligence. Tools that create convincing audio and video are becoming better and cheaper virtually every day. OpenAI launched a new tool called Sora on Thursday. The company says it can make photorealistic videos based on any prompt you can think up. I have seen something really scary happen. The fact that AI, generative AI, deep fakes have become so easy and so cheap to generate is a potential threat to our electoral system, potential threat to our democracy. Oren Etzioni is a longtime AI researcher and former CEO of the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. He recently founded TrueMedia.org, a Seattle-based nonprofit that's taking on the challenge of identifying deepfakes as they spread online. With the presidential election on the horizon, misinformation experts and election officials are sounding a warning about the impact deepfakes could have. Seattle Now producer Claire McGrain dug into the threat and what we can do about it. Claire, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Trish. So why did you start looking into this topic? Well, I've been interested in generative AI since my previous job when I worked at a local outlet called GeekWire. And at the point when I was working there, These tools weren't very good, Hmm. you know, like it was very obvious that a photo of someone was generated. All these things were wrong. They'd be weird kind of colors in the background. But they have gotten so good in just the past year that the game has totally changed. And I think for me and for a lot of people, the call that went out to voters in New Hampshire mimicking President Biden's voice was kind of a wake up moment of, 
oh, wow, these things are really here. So as you heard, I made this clone of your voice. Wow. And it took me 15 minutes. Like, I could have made that better, if I'm being honest. Wow. And I have the privilege of having hours of audio recordings of your voice, which made it easier. So I wanted to challenge myself to make something only using publicly available audio. And here's what I came up with. This is Washington Governor Jay Inslee. And I follow my local news with the podcast Seattle Now. Patricia Murphy and her team are just so talented and a real boon for the state of Washington. Well, first, I'd like to thank Jay Inslee for his endorsement of our fantastic show. (laughs) And then I need to remind listeners that that was actually a fake AI-generated piece of audio that you created really easily, I guess. So easily. I paid $1 for a service called Eleven Labs. Wow. It took me about 30 minutes to pull some clips from public press conferences, videos on YouTube, on Facebook of the governor talking. And then I just put a script in and kind of tweaked it around. And that is the really scary thing heading into this election is that there are so many tools that are so good, that are so cheap, as you heard Oranetzioni say, that It's just going to be a totally different game when it comes to misinformation. I'm struck by how accurate the intonation is. It's bizarre, Claire. It's it's bizarre. All right. Well, the 2016 election was well known for social media misinformation. False stories were shared all over the place. It sounds like this election cycle could be more dangerous from what we're talking about. I think so. And it is the combination of social media and the direct access that somebody has to people's information streams and the level of sophistication in these technologies. And we're not just talking about being sophisticated in creating an image, creating a video or an audio clip of somebody speaking. The technology can also tailor those images to very specific audiences with very little work. I spoke to a few misinformation and AI experts when I was reporting this, and Jevin West from the Center for an Informed Public at the UW said something that really stood out to me. You can tailor a message for a population in some rural county in Nebraska or some urban center in Chicago, and you can do that in ways that are cheap, that are fast, and that have been tested, actually. So because you can do this so cheaply, you can test the methods that work so well and then push them out during the times when it matters. And we have evidence of this already affecting elections. Claire, that's terrifying to me as a member of the media who is partially responsible for delivering truthful, accurate information, the precision that these messages can be targeted is deeply concerning. Do we have real-world examples right now? We do. We already have two just in the last, like, six months. Mm. So late last year, there was a national election in Slovakia. It was a very close election between two parties, one of which was more pro-Ukraine, aiding and supporting Ukraine, one of which is more closely aligned with Russia and more pro-Russia. And Slovakia has a rule where two days before the election, there's essentially a blackout where media organizations and politicians can't make public statements. During that period of time, a deep faked piece of audio was posted on Facebook 
that purported to show the leader of the more pro-Ukraine party talking about buying votes, literally paying people to vote for him in order to swing the election. And we can't say exactly what impact that had, but that party lost and the more pro-Russia party won that election. Another one, last week in Indonesia, the leading candidate was a general under a previous, like, dictator. This candidate was actually banned from entering the U.S. for multiple decades because of his connection to human rights violations. Again, shortly before the election, a group affiliated with him posted a deep-faked video of this previous dictator that he served under, speaking to the population, saying how important it was to vote, how important it is that Indonesia needs a strong leader— That man has been dead for Mm. years. So this was a generated piece of audio, essentially bringing him back from the grave to deliver a message. And it got a lot of attention. And again, the candidate won that election. And of course, that message in New Hampshire from President Biden, that was a deep fake, Mm -hmm. urging people not to vote in the primary election. How do I decide if the thing I'm looking at is real or not? (laughs) That's the key question, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you three steps. First step is... Pause, especially if you see something that seems outrageous or like so off the mark that you're like, oh, my gosh, I need to share this. I need to comment on this. Stop before you interact with it in any way and step back and ask, does this seem right? Really trust your gut. That's something that Jevin West told me. If something seems off about a piece of media, chances are there might be something off about it, right? And also ask if it's designed to prompt that emotional response, because that's often what people who create deep fakes are trying to do. Mm, Okay. Once you've taken that pause, the easiest thing to do is just check those little visual details, especially if you're looking at a photo or a video. So these generative AI often don't get hands, right? Like your hands will be kind of Like, they'll have too many fingers. If it's a video, the hands kind of move weirdly or the joints don't move quite right. Also, hair. Like, a lot of generated videos, the hair kind of looks like hair does in Pixar movies in 2004, you know? (laughs) It doesn't quite move right or it's sticking different directions. And also, symmetry. So, Hmm. symmetry in things like people's glasses. If people's teeth are symmetrical, if people's earrings are symmetrical, like AI-generated images for some reason struggle with that. And if it's a video, the last step is check that the person's mouth is moving along with the words they're saying. I do have to say, this is all a lot harder on a phone. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so much smaller, you can't see the details. And if you're watching a video on your phone, it's been compressed so that it's easier to play over Wi-Fi. So maybe pull something up on a bigger screen if you're struggling to see those details. Final step, even if the thing that you are looking at passes all of those stress tests, just Google it. Like, Mm. check a source, check a trusted news source to see if it's been debunked or if it's been verified. And especially for things related to how you vote, so the day, the method, check your state and county websites to verify anything you see that seems strange. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right. And the stakes, you know, people don't waste time, I guess, on AI stuff unless the stakes are high, Claire. What should we be looking out for? I think that is one of the scary things about this availability, because back in 2020, even, you would have to put so much effort into creating a narrative or creating deep fakes that people would only really target national elections. But 
it's become so easy that you can now target local elections, like the election for a new governor that Washington will have. I spoke to Secretary of State Steve Hobbs, and he's very concerned about the mechanics of elections being a target. You can have a, a visual, a digital image of, let's say, myself or somebody else that's telling you, hey, you can you can vote later. I'm, I'm concerned because I think people have uh, hacked into the tabulation machines when tabulation machines are not even connected to the Internet. Very concerned about this. It doesn't take much to really cause chaos in an election. And Claire, misinformation has been embedded in our election cycle since 2016. Is this something that we are just going to have to deal with forever? (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, I wish I could tell you for sure what's going to happen. But I think what I can tell you is it will depend on two main things. One is what the tech companies that run these social media platforms decide to do. And just on Friday, a group of 20 companies that includes, you know, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, OpenAI, TikTok, X, they signed this voluntary pledge, essentially, that says they're going to work to prevent deceptive AI content from influencing the 2024 election in America, but also around the world, because I think about 80 countries have major elections in this coming year. Now, it is clear that these companies are taking their role in this very seriously. You know, a number of them have gone and spoken to Congress, have asked for more regulation and so on. But also the incentive of making money doesn't necessarily pencil out with trying to prevent these deep fakes floating around, because we know in the layoffs that have happened in the tech sector over the past year or so, many companies have cut positions on their trust teams, on content moderation teams. X, formerly Twitter, basically annihilated its trust and safety information team when Elon Musk took over. And the second piece of that is what regulators, especially at the state and federal level, decide to do. So Washington does have a law already, but it is a very narrow law. It only applies to deepfaked images that are used by election campaigns. They have to be flagged as deepfakes. There are a few things that I think individuals can do, though, right? We can normalize being skeptical, normalize conversations around deepfakes, especially with people who, for example, may not speak English as a first language because it is much harder to fact check things for other languages. And also, like, be willing to admit that you were fooled, right? Like, (laughs) I got taken in by the Pope with the puffer coat, and I was embarrassed when later I found out it was a deepfake. But we shouldn't be embarrassed because people are trying to convince us, trying to fool us with this imagery. I'm glad you brought up the Pope with the Balenciaga coat (laughs) because when I saw that, this was my thought process. Whoa, Pope's got a nice coat. Is that really the Pope in that coat? He wears nice red shoes. He does like fashion. Something feels wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And it was just long enough for me to not share it. And then when I came back, like two hours later, when the thought came back again, it had been debunked. So you intuitively went through that process already. Really, I think media literacy is at the heart of this. Yeah, Yeah. really fascinating. Seattle Now producer Claire McGrain, thank you for your reporting on this. You're welcome. Please don't replace me with an AI. This is a fake 
Governor Jay Inslee, coming to you from the shores of beautiful Bainbridge Island. Thanks for listening to my favorite podcast, Seattle Now. An extra thanks to the generous listeners who financially support this show. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones, reported by Claire McGrain, and edited by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Our production team also includes Paige Browning, Andy Hurst, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. Patricia Murphy will see you again tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.